0: From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, July 22nd. On the south side of Green River, close to the Amtrak Station, where the railroad tracks and the town's canal run parallel, there's a standout one-acre parcel of land. It's where 50-year-old cottonwood trees jut into the sky where rock-lined gravel pathways snake around a play tunnel made of stumps. And right now, it's where a bunch of kids are going wild on a tire swing.
1: This is the first time I've seen kids playing in here, because it's been like active construction zone. It is, yeah, making me really happy.
0: Maria Sykes is the executive director of Epicenter. The nonprofit is often, well, okay, at the epicenter of a lot of projects in Green River, like this one. Wednesday's soft opening of Pearl Baker Park.
1: Even when we were setting up for this opening and pulling sodas out of the truck and stuff, the kids were running up, can we can we play in the park now? And we're like, absolutely.
0: <laughs> a few years ago, the city of Green River deeded this space to Epicenter as part of a larger project meant to improve community health. The nonprofit will eventually build houses for the community next door to this new and improved park. It's called Canal Commons, development that's been in the works for years and has stalled because of the pandemic.
1: Yeah, we had planned to build the park last because the the most urgent need is the housing, but whenever the price of lumber and labor and everything goes up, uh, suddenly you're not able to build your houses.
0: Epicenter has the land, they have the house designs, and the financing. But right now, they need an available contractor to dedicate themselves to affordable housing. While they're on hold, Sykes says her team realized, okay, they might not have a contractor or affordable construction materials for houses, but they could do something with what they do have, volunteers, dirt, and rocks. We have a ton of
1: volunteers. We have rocks. We have dirt. We have people in the community that are willing to step up and help us move giant rocks. So that's like, what can, what can we do during the pandemic, or what can we do while there's supply chain issues? And the park was the answer to that, and so far it's been amazing. <laughs>
0: With community help, they've transformed what was once overgrown and underused space into an ecologically-minded park that will have multiple functions. Community gathering spaces, an outdoor classroom, and native edible plants— Project manager, Joe Bondi.
1: What's happening today, the soft opening, is a really incredible chance for like some of these features that we've built to get some use and also like see how people interact with the space with some of the features in place.
0: Bondi is watching the Stump Berm Tunnel, made of formerly dead and dying cottonwood trees. A bunch of older people are sitting on it, having conversations, while younger ones climb on it to jump off. This play piece, like all the others, was conceptualized with material they had on site.
1: We didn't have a ton of resources to utilize, you know, we didn't have a huge budget, but we made it happen with locally available materials and and the labor that was like available through volunteer days or just community events and, and that really like shaped the the des- the ultimate design of the park.
0: This soft opening of Pearl Baker Park is almost like a reopening. Before the land became overgrown and neglected this space on the south side was Green River's original town park it's where older generations held melon days the town's biggest festival
2: when I was little this park was was happening so we would I would come here as a small child it was a it was a cool place and then it kind of went into disarray and uh, and forgotten.
0: Walt Maldonado not only remembers this place from his childhood, he remembers its namesake. The woman, the myth, the legend, Green River resident Pearl Baker.
2: It's cool that it's named after Pearl. She was quite the lady. She was uh, one of those larger in life uh, people when you met her. She had stories to tell that just would curl your toes sometimes. And uh, I loved every minute of listening to her. At the soft
0: opening of her park, Maldonado was not the first person to tell me they used to go to Baker's house just to listen to her tell stories.
2: Oh, it was a thing, yeah. I mean, she was a school teacher, but yeah, you could just go there. There'd sometimes be three, four kids sitting on the porch and she'd be telling stories of, of her childhood and we would all think, how the hell did you survive that, you know, being soft kids at that time, you know.
0: Baker passed away 30 years ago now when she was in her late 80s. She was born in the early 1900s and grew up on a cattle ranch in the heart of Robbers Roost. That's a place full of canyons and at one time was infamous for being difficult to navigate. It provided plenty of hideouts for outlaws and thieves in the late 1800s. Baker soaked in this folklore. As an adult, her very first novel, The Wild Bunch at Robber's Roost, inspired one of the most famous westerns of all time, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid.
1: She was just a walking encyclopedia, really loved the history
0: of the area. Jamie Meekham remembers going with her mom to bring meals to Baker when she was getting up there in years. She just lived down the same street. We would take meals in and
1: visit her, and even then she was just so excited to see people and would talk about the history even up to the very end. So
0: when Epicenter asked the community who they should honor with this park, many people resoundingly said Baker. For those who knew her, they surmised she'd be proud, honored, and even tickled about it.
1: We keep yeah, we keep calling her kind of like the badass, which is like, you know, just encompasses just kind of all she did in her
0: life. Steph Crabtree, deputy director at Epicenter. In addition to her namesake, Baker is also being honored by an outdoor classroom in the park. We worked with the
1: schools and the teachers to kind of facilitate what would what would be the best, you know, facility for them and just having something similar to having seating for students but being able to facilitate it out here with this, you know, great nature scene we have right here.
0: Crabtree says an outdoor classroom space is fitting. The houses that will eventually go in next door could provide living spaces for people essential to the community, like teachers. Gather
1: round, gather round. All right, if you're not playing, come listen. Otherwise, you can keep playing.
0: There's still work to be done at Pearl Baker Park. The outdoor classroom needs finishing. There's shade structures to erect and educational signage to make. But Sykes says this week's gathering was just to let the community know. The park is pretty much open for park business, picnics, walking your dog, and playing. Look around and enjoy the park. Thank you all for being here. Please get some refreshments as well. As people take tours of the space, eating popsicles and enjoying fizzy drinks, Green River local Maldonado gets reflective on the community.
2: There's a few things happening in town that kind of got us torn apart a little bit and so we, we need to come together as much as possible. At one time when I was younger. You know, my grandpa's wrist would be sore when we got home from just waving at everybody as we went down the street. (laughs) But that doesn't always happen now anymore. We need to get back to that, (laughs) just waving at everybody.
0: He says projects like this, where multiple generations can gather and enjoy each other's company, help build community.
2: So I think this is a good deal, especially on this end of town. Once they get everything done, it's going to be fabulous.
0: You can find more on Pearl Baker Park in the show notes of today's news. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. Moab City has long considered a workforce housing ordinance that would require a percentage of new development in certain city zones be set aside for people who work locally. This ordinance has been mired in negotiations with private property rights groups, developers, and realtors for months. But it's finally back on their agenda to potentially pass next week. As the city considers this, Grand County is starting a workforce housing ordinance process of their own. They'll be drafting a requirement that new developments in the county provide a percentage of workforce housing units or pay a fee in lieu of doing so. Doug McMurdo of the Times Independent has more on these dual processes.
3: Just about everybody um, who tunes into the news or reads the newspapers um, is aware that both the county and city governments have um, spent the last few years really struggling on how to address the uh, affordable housing the workforce housing issues that we have in in uh, town it's really a a real problem the government knows it's a real problem Uh, builders and developers know it's a real problem but that's about all that they agree on and i think that as the the city uh, next week uh, tuesday is probably going to take action on their own workforce housing ordinance Um, the county is taking a, a more holistic approach They want to uh, work with developers and builders in the real estate community at the inception rather than do all the work like Mm -hmm. the city did and then have um, that community show up to the meeting on Moss and basically um, threaten litigation mm-hmm. if uh, if they go forward with it, and that derailed the city. The county's making an effort to avoid that.
0: So the workforce housing ordinance, like you explained, the Moab City Council is going to hopefully take a vote on their own ordinance next right. week.
3: They um, they initially wanted, I think, I believe forty two point five percent of all units at any development and I think two zones uh, to go to workforce housing. And um, I think they're entertaining uh, 33% now. And I don't know if that'll fly either. It's going to be a tough sell.
0: You know, it's come up on the city council's agenda so many times to say, actually, we're tabling this. So, you know, fingers crossed there's some action.
3: Yeah, well, once litigation was threatened, um, that got everybody's attention, as it always Mm -hmm. does. And um, Mayor Langanese, she's um, a problem solver. She was all about, let's sit down at the table and hash this out. And it's on the agenda for Tuesday's meeting, so maybe they will. In the meantime, uh, the county is going to uh, embark on its own ambitious uh, ordinance writing exercise.
0: And like you said, they want to get in on the ground floor with um, any potential groups or organizations that might be opposed to it. Um, And so this week, did they just kind of state their intention of working on a workforce housing? ordinance
3: they are looking for um, input from the real estate community and the building community I I do believe that's that's the the nexus of, of their goal so and I think that's smart
0: and they have the city actually as a model now. What pitfalls to avoid and what might work? More coverage, of course, on this issue on workforce housing in the Times Independent this week. Um, I'd also love for you to highlight an article that's in here about um, the county backing out of the opioid lawsuit.
3: Yes, they backed out at the um, the last possible minute. And it has to do with a case that a judge decided in a different state uh, a county wanted to go solo uh, on its litigation with uh, the opioids. And for background, the opioid settlement, the four or five big pharmaceutical companies uh, and distributors reached a global settlement with. United States Mm. and and the various states, and um, Utah was one who who settled, and I believe uh, Grand County's share was going to be one hundred twenty-eight thousand doled out over an eighteen-year period. Okay, hardly enough money to uh, to buy a desk and a Rolodex, much less you know attack another major problem Mm -hmm. in this community, and that's uh, opioid Mm -hmm. uses. These pharmaceutical companies and distributors, they really pushed doctors to prescribe these medicines. And they got the nation hooked. Hmm. And some people, a lot of people were able to walk away from that addiction um, unscathed. And other people went to the streets to find the pills um, that, that their doctor used to prescribe, but doesn't yeah. anymore. So Christina Sloan, the county attorney, and um, Alex gobel he will be the county attorney in San Juan, but now he's just uh, works for the county attorney's office. Okay. They had both decided that those counties were going to go solo because mm. they were not happy with the state's the state was going to keep half of that 128 million and the rest mm. was going to be doled out to various entities so this judge in West Virginia he ruled against the county and so uh, the attorneys who were working on our litigation told Christina we there's no way we're going to win this mm. case okay. so we need to back out and we need to back out now because tomorrow's the deadline so both San Juan County and Grand County uh, agreed to um, abandon the uh, the solo lawsuit and join the state lawsuit. So we're not walking away with nothing, but just next to nothing.
0: So the writing on the wall for them, you know, wasn't great. So they decided to take this money. And as reported in the Times Independent, it sounds like Grand County is going to get $15,000 annually over 18 years. Yes. Okay. Well, that is... Not nothing, but it also, like you were explaining in comparison to the effects of the opioid crisis, Yeah, much. I, I don't
3: know what they're going to do with that money, but I would probably give it to the new addiction center at the Moab mm-hmm. Regional Hospital, and um, they're, they're the experts.
0: Now, finally, Doug, I'm hoping you can uh, highlight one more piece about um, marketing the county.
3: Yes, the county has been highly criticized in recent months. People have claimed that they are not doing anything to market Moab with the the uh, Tourism Advisory Board, the Moab Travel Council, and uh, the travel council did not vote on this. However, they didn't vote on it because they didn't have time. Mm. And the head actually wrote a letter in support of the county's okay. efforts to get a grant mm. and also use TRT, uh, transient room tax funding, to market for people to fly in to Moab, where they would rent a car, get mm. a hotel room, mm-hmm. uh, basically be forced to eat in the restaurants. <laughs> and um, th- this is going to market to uh, sh- the Chicago area, of San Francisco. Go, a couple of other big areas where people would fly into Moab. It's a kind of visitor that spends a lot more money than than a, a typical visitor will, and not counting airfare.
0: So this is a combination of a grant and taxes. The county hasn't gotten the grant yet, though, no, right? No, they've applied okay. for
3: it. That's what, that's what okay. they did on the 21st of June. They approved uh, sending a letter in support of that. Uh, it's also important to note that 22 flight data hundreds fewer people flying in Mm -hmm. uh, this summer than last summer okay so um, it would help the airport out as well
0: anything else to mention about this piece it sounds like if this was to occur if this marketing campaign was to occur Chicago Denver LA Salt Lake yes those areas Uh
3: I know that marketing to Chicago became kind of controversial a couple years ago Um, in fact the county voted to not fund that campaign and that created quite a bit of headaches for people, but mm. it seems like they've changed direction.
0: Doug McMurdo, editor at the Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at MoabTimes.com. Moab Regional Hospital is feeling the nationwide nursing shortage. And as Allison Hartford with the Moab Sun News explains, they've been experiencing this situation for some time
4: there are 22 open positions listed on the Moab Regional Hospital's employment page. Um, 16 of those positions are clinical, and eight of them are nursing positions. Um, So there's a nationwide nursing shortage right now, and the hospital is definitely also feeling that. So how, you know, how long has this been going on at Moab Regional? So Tracy Jones, who has worked as a registered nurse for 28 years, and 18 of them were in Moab, she said that the hospital has been short-staffed for um, quite some time, like even before COVID. But the pandemic was kind of a catalyst for a lot of healthcare providers and nurses taking early retirement or just leaving healthcare altogether. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of been the past three years or so um, have really exacerbated this shortage.
0: So healthcare is not like other professions where if you're short-staffed, you can close the doors. Right. So how does that work? A significant way that
4: the market has responded to the demand for nurses is travel nurse agencies mm-hmm. have expanded, yeah. um, but they're also really expensive. So like some hospitals pay over $150 an hour for a travel nurse, where they would pay much less for a permanent nurse who mm-hmm. works at the hospital. Moab Regional Hospital has always used travel nurses, um, but never to the degree that it is now. Um, And it's also never been as expensive. And so right now, the hospital has 15 travel nurses and other traveling clinical employees on staff.
0: Now, of course, I'm sure that Moab's unique housing situation plays into this equation also. Right. Molly Stack
4: is a recruiter for the hospital. And she said, yeah, one of the main things that she focuses on is helping people find housing. But it's always really tricky. In spite of these changes challenges. A lot of the hospital staff have a really positive view of their workplace. A lot of them really enjoy working at the hospital and Tracy Jones said that even when the nurses are short staffed they just run faster Um, and they have a really great team at the hospital and they genuinely care about the work that they do.
0: You know any solutions that they've presented
4: There is some legislation that um, is going to initiate a study on the travel nursing industry Mm -hmm. and its effects on the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. Um, So the hospital's hoping that that'll help regulate Mm -hmm. um, these travel nurse agencies and kind of like the expense. I think mostly the trouble is also that the number of people who are going into nursing doesn't meet um, the number of people who are
0: leaving the profession. Right. The demand for it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Ali, for that coverage. And, um, Moving on, Pioneer Day is coming up, Mm -hmm. and there are some events. So, to celebrate Pioneer Day, the Moab Museum is
4: hosting its annual ice cream social. And the Mo Museum of Film and Western Heritage, which is in the Red Cliffs Lodge, um, will have a free screening of the 1950s film Wagon Master, which uh, follows the story of two young horse traders who decide to help guide a Mormon pioneer wagon headed for the San Juan River. Um, Tell us about that. Yeah, so Elise Park is the director of the film museum. Um, She started in April, and so this is kind of one of the first public events that they've had. And we talked about how Wagon Master is this Pioneer Day relevant plot But also, the film was really vital in shaping Moab's film industry, because it's the first full-length film to be made almost entirely in the Moab area. It's directed by John Ford, who's a super-renowned Westerns director, Um, and this was the film that inspired George White to found what would become the Moab to Monument Valley Film Commission. Mm. Um, And Park also said that the film kind of opened the door to Moab, so much so that now the scenery of southeast Utah can be found in films around the world, and the red rocks here have kind of become the epitome of the American West.
0: Um, and the, are they showing this film inside
4: the museum? So it'll be outside. Okay. Under the stars. Because the film is outside. Um... Viewers will kind of be in the spot that the movie was filmed in. It was filmed along the Highway 128 corridor and near the Fisher Towers. And what time again is that movie? So the movie starts at 9 p.m. and the Ice Cream Social starts at 7 p.m.
0: All right, so two two big events. What's going on with the Ice Cream Social? Yeah, so the Ice Cream
4: Social will start at 7 p.m. on the Moab Museum lawn. So just the lawn, like right out front of the museum on Center Street. And there's going to be free ice cream, lawn games, um, and a chance to. To explore local history with friends and neighbors. And then afterwards, starting at 9pm, will be the film screening down at the Red Cliffs Lodge.
0: Amazing. And there's one more piece that I'm hoping you can highlight in the Moabson News this week. Yeah,
4: so this summer, Grand County Library has expanded its teen programming. So I talked to Christina Williams, who is the library's teen tween librarian. Um, and she said that she's seen a growing importance in library programming um, specifically toward teens and tweens because you know these are kids who aren't children but they also aren't adults yet Um, and so a lot of the teens who use the library are using it as a place to interact with their friends. Um, They're going there to play like video games um, and they're also going there to read like new young adult novels
0: amazing so they're seeing more teens interact with the library and right. they're kind of responding to that yeah by offering programming
4: last week the library held its first teen game and hang and it was called that friday night thing they set up an xbox a switch um, a vr headset that oh. you can play video games on which makes me feel really old because <laughs> <laughs> i'm like what is that um but yeah, and William said that a lot of the teens who attended were library regulars, um, but none of them have these game systems at home. And she said the most popular game was Wii Sports.
0: Any other cool like events coming up for teens?
4: Yeah, so on Mondays um, from 3 to 5 p.m., teens are invited to Maker Mondays. Um, each Monday features a new uh, STEAM activity, and STEAM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, Art, Math. Um, and past activities have included like building and programming robots and then on Wednesdays from three to five, the library hosts a Rubik's Cube club uh, where teens can learn and practice solving a three by three Rubik's cube and there are also expanded computer hours on Monday through Friday from twelve to eight p m
0: There's so much that our little library does it's very cool that they're seeing you know a certain user group interact with the library and trying right. to meet that need, yeah. Anything else to say on that piece? Yeah, so there is a
4: summer reading challenge going on at the library right now. Um, and it's split up into three different age categories. There's children's, uh, teens, and also adults. And so each hour that you log counts towards tickets, which can be used to enter prize drawings.
0: Allison Harford, staff reporter at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find the pieces that were mentioned today in the show notes at our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News Podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.